Welcome to Coaching for Potential with Rory Rowland. Join national presenter and consultant Rory Rowland as he discusses another aspect of powerful coaching and how it transforms people to improve your organization. We're here today with Bob Tini. He has just written a new book called Now That's a Great Question. He also has a blog, leadingwithquestions.com, where he's just got tons of great information on how to lead with questions. And so, Bob, welcome to our program today. Rory, it's my absolute pleasure to be with you. I am absolutely delighted, and we've talked offline, and we've become better friends with this process, so I'm delighted to have you here. So um, tell me a little bit about your book, your new book, Now That's a Great Question, and it starts with a a confession. Tell me a bit about your confession. Well, Rory, uh, you know, I guess it's always a bit of a risk. To, uh, to make a confession. Uh, someone once said, you know, confession's good for the soul and bad for the reputation. But, uh, but I'll, I'll, uh, I'll assume the risk here. Um, Rory, the truth is, for most of my career, I was what I would call a benevolent dictator. And, uh, and it was because I didn't know any other way to lead. My only paradigm of leadership is that leaders needed to use please and thank you but that they needed to tell staff what to do. And a number of mm-hmm. years ago, uh, I was attending a, a global leadership summit, and one of the speakers was Liz Wiseman. Liz had uh, written the book. It had just come out called Multipliers. Again, a book I highly recommend. And when I saw that she was on the schedule to speak and that her title of her talk was Multipliers, I thought, well, this is going to be great, Rory, because she's going to be talking about leaders just like me. And, uh, mm. well, she started by talking about diminishers. And, uh, you know, while I could figure out from the word what it meant, I had never heard it applied to a leader. And she began mm. to give examples of diminisher leaders. And her first example was that when you bring a diminisher a problem, they solve it for you. And I thought, (laughs) that's exactly what I do. And and I thought, in other words, I actually loved it when a staff member came in and said, Bob, I got a problem. And they'd share the problem. And I'd say, well, Joe, here's what you need to do to solve that. Thinking, wow, uh, I'm a multiplier. But Liz Wiseman was saying, no, (laughs) you're a diminisher. And then she went to a second example. When you bring a diminisher leader a great idea, they say, Rory, great idea. But you know, if you also added this and this and this, it would be just like fantastic. (laughs) And, And Rory, I'm sinking lower in my seat because I'm thinking, well, that's exactly what I do. I mean, my self-perception is when Rory brings me a great idea and I say, wow, Rory, great idea. You know, if you also added this and this, I was thinking Rory left my office, staff left my office thinking, wow, I'm so glad I brought Bob that. He so enhanced that idea. Rory, I had no self-awareness, no emotional intelligence to know that people actually left my office thinking, I'm never bringing T.D. another idea in my life. No matter whatever, bring him. It's not good enough. And then, Mm. if she hadn't already said enough, she went on with the third point, 
when a diminisher leader asks you to take on a responsibility, they want to give you all the responsibility and none of the authority. The words they'll probably mm. use is, hey, would you be willing to help me with, and they'll name the, the task. And, you know, now I'm about on the floor because all the things that I actually thought were multiplier traits were actually diminisher traits. And, and another mm. angle kind of to get a hold of this is if you constantly give your staff all the answers, what you're creating is a group of followers. Uh, you know, in the old paradigm, you, you're giving them a fish. So they'll keep coming to you. Some of them will. They'll keep coming you to get a fish every day. But if you're really focused on developing leaders you're not going to give them the answers. When they come and say, uh, here's a what a multiplier does, Rory. When you bring a question to a multiplier, a problem, Rory walks in and says, Bob, what do I do about it? You know, and he lays out the problem. The multiplier leader says, Rory, what do you think you should do? And let's Rory answer. When the multiplier leader gets a new idea from Rory. Rory walks in and says, Bob, I got this new idea. Bob says, tell me about it. And Rory shares. The response is, wow, great idea. Um, tell me more. Tell me how you're going to implement that. But don't add to Rory's idea. Right. Let Rory run with the idea. And, and when the multiplier leader ask Rory to take on a new responsibility. He gives Rory authority with the responsibility. And then I think I forgot to mention this, the, the uh, diminisher leader, when Rory says, sure, Bob, be glad to help, the diminisher leader says, Rory, pull out some, uh, you know, notepad, and then gives Rory the, uh, the whole plan on how he wants it done, including how to wind his watch. But the multiplier leader, when Rory says, hey, I'll be happy to take that on, not only does Bob or the leader give him authority, but he says, hey, you go do draft one of what that plan would be to do this. And you let them do the draft on how to get it done so that the solution, the plan, is their plan. Well, mm. that's what the first chapter is all about. Is uh, And here's... Here's, you know, the book is now that's a great question. Leaders who lead with questions rather than telling are actually going to be multiplier leaders. Mm. And and what you saw that day was truly your leadership style was your blind spot because you had no idea that there was this whole different approach to leading that Liz Wiseman talked about in Multipliers. And she just kind of explained to you, oh my gosh, and that was the moment you said, how do I, how do, I do this? How do I, and then you probably asked yourself, how do I change? How do I no longer do that? Well, abs absolutely, Rory. And, and as I, you know, got a hold of that, as I began to think about it, her solution was actually easier. Meaning, yes, there was a temptation to tell, but once I became aware, it was like, I don't need to add to their ideas. I don't need to solve all their problems. All I have to do is turn around and say, well, on a problem, Rory, what do you think you might do about that? 
and listen. Uh-huh. And, and ask maybe some more follow-up. Rory, that would be one option. Can you give me a couple more options on what you might do? And it was like... Yeah, well, given this... Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was given, you know, give, we've all have parameters we have to operate in, within. And so as a leader, they may bring you a great idea, but it may be a, a tad outside your budget. So then you might ask, okay, they're asking for a $20,000 idea, but we've only got a $10,000 budget. Okay, how can we make this work with $10,000, not the $20,000? And then that, again, puts it back on them to say, what can I do creatively to make this happen? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the paradigm shift that that I did was that a, a great leader doesn't need to have all the answers, doesn't need to have all the ideas. They just need to have some of the right questions. And... Mm. The reality, Rory, is it takes the pressure off of leadership. I don't need to know everything. I just need to know some of the right questions so that staff, clients, colleagues, family can solve their own problems. That's exactly right. I love what Andy Stanley said. He says, only do what only you can do which is such, such an important point for all of us because if we try to tell people what to do, then we're doing their job for them and not really doing our job, which should be hopefully a, a higher pay grade function to be more strategic, to be more visionary, to, to take the organization forward in a positive way. So well, you, a very, very important concept. You uh, Sharing about Andy Stanley reminded me of another quote of Andy's that I really love. He says, leaders who don't listen will eventually be surrounded by people who have nothing to say. (laughs) 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 Uh, And uh, and for many years, I think, uh, you know... uh, Again, we listening is a whole other thing, but a, but a leader who's telling, telling, telling is not doing very much listening. Absolutely. I, I love that. I love that. Tell me about you. On your blog, you refer to a Navy captain who took over a ship with the lowest morale, uh, but in 18 months later had the highest morale in the Navy. How did that leader do that? And uh, were questions involved? Well, absolutely. And, and Rory, I'm, I'm going to share this story, but you're going to love the three questions that he asked. In fact, they're so simple that you're only going to need to hear them once and you'll have them memorized, but they're brilliant. That Navy captain was Captain Michael D. Abershoff. And when he took over the USS Benfold, one of our most modern warships, Again, however the Navy measures these kind of things, the morale on that ship was lowest in the Navy. And 18 months later, when they retested, the morale on that ship actually was the highest in the Navy. Well, upon taking command, the first thing Captain Abershoff did was he had 300 15-minute interviews with 300 sailors on that ship. And in those 15-minute interviews, these were one-on-one, he asked them three questions. Here they are. What do you like best about this ship? Second question, what do you like least? Third, what would you change if you could? And, you know, Rory, I'm imagining by the end of the first day, maybe he'd only interviewed 15, 20 sailors. 
and he had a whole lot more to go. But there was a buzz on the ship. The new captain's different. He actually cares what we think. He actually is asking us questions. And, of course, it didn't take long, and Captain Abershoff began to hear things that was kind of like, what? What do you mean that's not being done on this ship? And uh, we're going to change that. Now, he made no promise that he would change everything that everyone asked, but it didn't take long, and there was a bunch of common sense kind of things that he said, well, we're going to change that. And so not only did he ask and listen, but they began to see that their input was causing change on the ship. Well, it's, you know, once you understand that, it's, uh, it's really no mystery why morale began to turn around on that ship. And, uh, and he continued those interviews until he'd interviewed 300 sailors. But, Rory, you know, I've shared with you, uh, I'm just a farm boy from South Dakota. What I love about leading with questions is so much of the fruit hangs on low branches. It's not like you need to go get an MBA in questionology. If, as a leader, you'll turn around and just use these three questions from Captain Michael D. Ebershoff of your staff, what do you like best about our company? What do you like least? What would you change if you could? And you sit and you listen to their answers. And when you begin to hear themes where you're saying, wow, that, that, that would be a great idea, and you implement it, I mean, Rory, what leader can't do that? No question. And the thing that I love about it is it seems almost overwhelming. While you were telling the story, I actually got a calculator out and, and calculated. And I said, you know, how long did it take? Because it just seems just incredible to have, you know, because he interviewed how many people? 300. Is that right? That's right. You know, it just seems like, oh, my God, 15 minute interview with 300 people. That seems like it's going to go on and on forever. But actually, that's only 70 out five hours, which is basically two weeks is two weeks worth completely changing your shift around, you know, changing your ship uh, from being lowest morale to highest morale. I think any leader would gladly trade two weeks to have that kind of recognition and kind of response. So I uh, absolutely love the concepts and the idea. And, and with regards to that, it triggered another story. And I know we've talked about great leaders ask questions, but you tell about a British woman who took over her um, her husband's business and the three questions that she asked. And that triggered it. So I you know, I wanted to tee that one up for you. And can you take that one? And how did this woman who had no business experience taking over her husband's job, who business, who he had passed away, she was now in charge. And she literally let people know she didn't know anything about it, but how did she turn around the business and, and make it go from like $10 million in sales to 2,500 or excuse me, $25 million in sales in like two years. How did she, you know, get two and a half times the production uh, just by asking questions? Well, Again, it's just such a great story, and, and the questions are so simple. Uh, as she would meet with the leaders, and, and she would ask these about once a month as she'd come in to meet with the leaders, she would say, uh, what are you doing? And uh, and again, I'd, with the right inflection, it was not like, hey, you know, it's not like we catch our kids with their hands in the cookie jar and say, what are you doing? But she would say, hey, you know, mm-hmm. tell, tell me what you're doing. And then she would say, and what's working? And her third question is, of all those things you're doing, what's not working? And those were the three questions that they said as she asked those and listened, 
it turned, well, I think the company was already doing great, but her husband had died unexpectedly, and she took over the leadership. And I know you said dollars. This was in Britain, so they were using pounds. At any rate, it went from 10 million pounds two and a half years later to 25 million pounds. And, and they said it was because she asked and listened to the answers to those three questions. What are you doing? What's working? What's not working? And away they went. And it's so off. And so often, uh, and this is so important for leaders, is ego truly is the enemy. And I know there's a book out there on that topic, but she didn't have that uh, that worry. She went ahead and put her ego aside and said, what are you doing? What's not working? What is working? And then acted upon the information received. And voila, the results were remarkable. So I love that story. You also talk about the Walt Disney World Laundry Services and their annual turnover and what it is today. What do they do and how they make that work? Roy, this is a fun story. Uh, A number of years ago, we took one of our emerging leadership groups. Our headquarters is in Orlando. But one day we took them on the behind the scenes leadership tour of Walt Disney World. And, uh, I myself was so looking forward to that because on this behind-the-scenes tour, they take you places that guests can't normally go. And with stops later in the day at uh, the Magic Kingdom where we would be in the Utilidor, that's the underground place where all the, the cast members go back and forth. And then over at Epcot, we were going again to the cast member center where people come and change into their costumes. And again, there's so many stories I could share there. But the first stop of the day was the Walt Disney Laundry. And, and I have to admit, as, as they announced that as the first stop, and as we were driving there, I was thinking to myself, man, I hope this one's fast. I mean, laundry services, good grief. Let's go to some of the exciting places. Well, it turns out that that first stop was actually the best stop of the day. Uh their turnover rate at one time had been 85% annually. Walt Disney World was wow. actually thinking of outsourcing their laundry because it just was not going well. Well, they got new leadership, and the new leadership was asking questions and engaging the staff at the laundry services. But they said it took about six months before the and I say staff, everybody's a cast member, before the cast members in the laundry services felt comfortable enough to answer. When they first asked these questions, they thought it was a trick, and that if they actually answered honestly, they'd get fired. Well, the questions they Mm. asked is, what could we do to make your job easier? As I said, it took like asking six months and, and just saying, no, this is not a trick. We really want to know before they begin to answer. And when they answered, it was not, you know, rocket science. They said, it's hot in here. Would it be possible, number one, to have an air conditioner vent over each workstation? And then number two, they said, you know, our, our work table for some people, is the perfect height. But for some of our taller cast members, they're having to bend over too much. And for some of our shorter cast members, they're having to reach up too high. It, you know, it's uncomfortable. Could we have 
those works tables go up and down so that it could all be at the proper height for us. Well, management hearing those two ideas instantly said, well, sure, we can do that. And, uh, and they made those changes. Well, immediately it gave the cast members a sense again, kind of like those Navy guys on the USS Benfold. Leadership cares enough to ask. Second, they're listening. And third, they're actually making changes. Another question they asked the staff was, what ideas do you have on how we could serve our guests even better? And they begin to have all sorts of ideas. One of the ideas, though, was some cross-training, or at least cross-experience. In other words, people that worked in the laundry could go spend a couple days with uh, the housekeepers, where they actually saw how you know sheets and towels were being used. And you could think, well, good grief, what, you know, what do they need to see? Well, one of the things they saw was how they load the laundry carts. And they began to see better ways to load the laundry carts, which would make it easier for the housekeepers. And they began to make those changes. Well, at the same time, housekeeping staff were going and spending a day or two in the laundry. And having spent there, it created camaraderie. It's like, these aren't our enemies. These are our colleagues. And, uh, well, today, turnover rate is now less than 10% a year. They say that people wow. get hired into the Walt Disney World laundry services and they stay now until they retire. It all happened when management began to ask two questions. What could we do to make your job easier? What ideas do you have on how we could serve our guests better? Love it. Absolutely love it. And, and, and that's the key. You do, uh, in fact, see retention rates go up significantly when you do this. I'll, if I can just share one quick story from one of my clients, uh, it was a CEO of a credit union and he was in line and he told all of his, uh, his senior leadership team, don't just hand somebody your, your business, go down, stand the tower line, you know, do your own deposit withdrawals, whatever you need to do. And he goes, because I want to be able to see what our members see. And mm. so he's in line and all of a sudden he's, he's in line and his uh, two, two women are behind him are complaining about the speed of the line. And of course he's the CEO. So he kind of perks up and kind of shifts himself so he can listen. And really what they're complaining about is not the fact that the line is too slow, but now the line's too fast. And I've been working with this client for about 18 months to create a coaching culture in their credit union. And so the line now is going too fast. And so when we have our senior leadership team, I, with that organization, I do coaching skills for the C-level folks, the managers and the supervisors. And so when the C-level folks were on the phone, um, you know, he asked this question and the COO said, since we've been doing the coaching program, she said, I would typically have 15 openings for every 100 employees I had under my preview, under my guidance. And she says, as of today, we only have one opening and retention has improved so much that, you know, we've, we've gone from 15 openings to one opening in that process. And she says, people are staying longer. And because they're staying longer, guess what? Employees are more skilled. They're more comfortable. The lines are moving faster and our members are being served better. And that's really what you're talking about there. This coaching, asking questions, involving people and engaging them makes a huge impact on the organization. So I just love that, that story, uh, Bob, about 
the, uh, the laundry service at, you know, Walt Disney World. And you said, you know, another point that you said is leaders need to ask questions, but what does he need to do next? Ask the question, but then do what? You got to listen. You got to listen. <laughs> and, you know, I have a whole chapter on, on listening. And, and, you know, my goodness, we, we think listening is easy. And uh, it's, mm. it's, it's actually difficult. But, uh, Rory, in this one chapter, I share some listening tips. And, uh, and the first thing I'd like to share is uh, a tip that I used to give myself that does not work. And, uh, Rory, might you be a golfer by any chance? Once in a while. I'm a duffer. I don't call myself a golfer. Have you ever uh, employed or used a golf pro to kind of look at your swing and give you some tips? Sure. Now, imagine you're in that situation. The golf pro is, is watching you. They're seeing you swing. And now it comes time for them to share wisdom with you. How helpful would mm-hmm. it be? If the golf pro said, Rory, what you need to do is to try harder. <laughs> they never said that, but that wouldn't be very helpful to try harder. Well, the reason I, I share kind of that ridiculous little, uh, of course, no golf pro would do that. As I said, I used to coach myself in this area and say, oh, I'm not a very good listener. I just need to try harder. And I want to tell you that doesn't work. But I've discovered a few tips that uh, will really help uh, improve your listening. And the first tip is what I call the eight-second rule. Now, Rory, when you uh, normally think of like just eight seconds, that particular length of time, might there be a sport that comes to mind? Uh, right off the bat is rodeo, but I don't want to ride a bull for eight seconds because that would be an eternity for me. <laughs> well, exactly. That's what I was looking for. Bull riding. To stay on a bull to get a ride, you have to be on that bull for eight seconds. And to a bull rider, eight seconds is an eternity, just like you said. Well, when we ask a question, here's what's interesting. Waiting eight seconds for an answer, in other words, giving eight seconds of silence, can also seem like an eternity. And uh, research has shown that most of us only wait two or three seconds before we either re-ask the question, ask another question, answer the question ourselves, or just move on. And the strange thing, Rory, is that we have no idea that that's what we do, that we only wait two or three seconds. But now that I've shared that with you, and, and with the listeners of your podcast, there's now going to be awareness. The problem is we were unaware. And now that I've become Mm. aware, when I ask a question, I I just relax. I I keep appropriate eye contact, not, you know, not staring them down, but appropriate eye contact and relax. And I count to myself, 1,001, 1,002. Sometimes, Rory, I've even gotten up to 20 seconds. But the longer you wait, the better their answer. And and don't interrupt their thinking by talking. Because, Rory, if you're asked a, a really profound question, it may take you 8, 10, 15 seconds 
for you to process that question. And if the one asking will wait, they're going to be rewarded with uh, having remained silent by hearing a great answer. And so, uh, you know, that first tip is just count to yourself for eight seconds. Uh, A second tip, Rory, I'm going to kind of give an example of this. But, Roy, let me ask you this question. Where were, where'd you go on your most recent vacation? Um, most recent vacation, trying to think. Um, oh, gosh, I'm, I'm embarrassed not to, to know those. Uh, let's say we went to Florida. Wow, Florida. Hey, Roy, let me tell you about the time Sherry and I have gone to Florida. We love going to Florida. We, we love to go to Clearwater Beach, and we love to go to Walt Disney World. And uh, wow, and Roy, what did I just do? You, you may not have this. <laughs> you just stepped all, over my, stepped all over my story. I call it, I hijacked the conversation. When you said Florida and the fact that Sherry and I love going to Florida, I begin to tell you my story of all the times we've gone to Florida. You know, and we do this again subconsciously. A friend says, we say, where have you been? And they say, oh, I just got back from France. And if we've been to France, we're so tempted to tell them about our trip to France. And uh, or we ask uh, about a movie and and they say, oh, just saw the new uh, Toy Story. And if we've seen it, we start telling them our story about having seen Toy Story. And, and again, it's an unconscious thing. But once you become aware of, oops, I've done that. Oops, I, I feel that, that temptation to hijack the conversation. But in the past, we've been unaware. And so once we know it, it's unimportant that I've been to Florida ever. Rory, where'd you go in Florida? And, and then as you answer, hey, tell me more. What'd you do there? Where'd you eat? And, uh, you know, what was the most fun? And I just keep asking questions about Rory's trip to Florida. It's, it's not important for me to share my experience. Don't hijack the conversation. So those are just a couple listening tips that... Uh, I think will help most people. They've sure helped me become a better listener. And they're much better than try harder. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Yeah, try harder doesn't work. But, you know, getting comfortable with with silence is really what you're talking about there. And allowing yourself to count to eight almost, and it would almost feel as uncomfortable as a bull ride. Uh, I love that. I will definitely use that technique with my audiences is say, you know, just, just be patient. It's like riding a bull for eight seconds. It may seem like an eternity, uh, but, and you're absolutely right. The longer that they take to process and the more information that you get, guess what? The better the answer, the more, more provocative the thought process and the more willing they may be to really share something deep with you is very, very profound. So I just love that. So, Bob, how do people get a copy of your book? Because I'm sure this is uh, for sale on Amazon, and they can probably get a copy from Amazon. So how do folks get a copy of your book? Well, that's a good assumption, Rory, but it's not true. Um, Uh-oh. My book, Now That's a Great Question, is a free ebook on my blog, leadingwithquestions.com. 
if uh, mm. if readers will readers if if listeners to your podcast will simply go to leadingwithquestions.com there at the top they might actually see it's it's a red cover they'll see now that's a great question click on it and you'll be able to request the download of your free ebook right there and uh, and Rory, it's it's actually not available for sale. It's only available as a free ebook. Everything I do on social media is free, and the reason for wow. that is uh, it's a bit like that Mastercard commercial. I imagine there's a few dollars that could be made, but when I get uh, emails or texts or responses in one way or another from readers who say, Bob. Your book has forever changed my leadership. And not only am I a better leader, my staff are better served. They're better led. To me, that is priceless. It's worth way more than a few dollars. And so uh, go to leadingwithquestions.com and download your free ebook. Now that's a great question. You'll also find my other two books there. They can be downloaded also, all of them for free. And uh, just to give you an idea, Leading with Questions is uh, some 160 pages. I think there's uh, 28, 29 chapters. And, uh, and, oh, here's another great thing. You don't need to read it uh, necessarily cover to cover. You can peruse and say, oh, here's a chapter. In other words, uh, one chapter doesn't build on another. You can uh, pick and choose chapters in any order, uh, the order that you think would be most helpful to you. Mm. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. And uh, that's why I was just teasing about the uh, the Amazon part of it, because people love free, and you're giving them away free. So, Bob, I cannot say thank you enough for your time today. Great information on how to be a great, a better leader by asking questions. And I love the book. Now that's a great question. They can download it free and get a copy of that and help them be better leaders. So, Bob, I cannot say thank you enough for your time. Great job explaining some of the great concepts in. Now that's a great question. So thank you, Bob. Rory, it has been my privilege. Uh, thank you for being a great host. Uh, this has been fun, and I'll look forward to another time with you. Absolutely. It's been my honor, my friend. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Coaching for Potential with Rory Rowland. Join us next time for another discussion about the power of coaching. This has been a KCTK production produced by Paul Lavoda and Rory Rowland. For more information and content, visit RoryRowland.com.